Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. That can be found on page 913 of the Bible in your pew. Once again, it's Luke chapter 8, verses 4 through 8. And when a great multitude had gathered, and they had come to him from every city, he spoke by a parable. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you're a guest, again, we welcome you. We thank you for being with us. It encourages us that you're here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. We're thankful to be thinking about the theme of choosing God, and we hope that everyone today makes the choice to choose God, or at least begins the journey of making that choice. We want to encourage you. Uh, we have been praying for you. There have been hundreds praying that all of us would choose God, and we'll walk together from here to eternity. I love the saying that says, I was not saved to walk this way alone. We need each other. Obviously, we need God, but we need the encouragement and the strength from each other. I want to encourage you today to think about some of the beautiful words that we read in Scripture. Humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, and He will lift you up. If your idea is that you don't want anyone to know that you're a sinner, you've already failed in that kind of pride. If you want to think that you can make it from here to heaven alone, you've already failed. There will be none of us here that will spend an eternity with God until we can accept the fact that we're a sinner, we need God, and we need each other. That's the great expectation, or at least a part of it, that God places upon us. And I hope that you accept that expectation and that you're comfortable walking together in this life in God's family toward eternity. Let me mention to you just a couple of quick reminders and we'll go right into the lesson. I do continue to pray for Don as he's left this morning, Don Humphrey, for South Sudan. And he is going to continue to work there with the school and with the clinic and also the refugee camps. And we want to continue to pray for him and that work there. Also, keep in mind that Involvement Sunday is coming up this next Sunday. And so when you walk into the foyer, you will notice that there will be tables set up all over the foyer and half of the ministries that we have in this congregation will be set up and there'll be deacons around them and perhaps even some elders. And that's to help you grow acquainted maybe with ministries that you don't know about and maybe you'd like to learn more about. And they'll have uh, kind of entry-level works that you can get involved in, that you can see if you like that ministry, if it's for you. We want to match whatever abilities God has given you with the opportunities that are here. The following Sunday, the other half of ministries will be set up and the same, there'll be those to answer questions. And so we hope that that's a great success for you in that you can get involved uh, where it is best for you in serving God. Also, next Saturday morning will be our ladies' breakfast, and then Sunday at lunch will be 
outreach reorganization. And so we want to encourage you to, to plan on those. The outreach reorganization will be a potluck, so come Sunday prepared for that. If you're sitting on the end of a pew, I want to encourage you to take one of these cards uh, or take the cards that you see on the end of the pew and pass them down uh, so that everybody can receive one. Uh, during the last song today, we're going to ask you to pass those to the center aisles and, and these will be collected. If you see others in your pew that have already been filled out first service, uh, be sure and gather those and pass those in for us too and that, that would be helpful. Uh, since we're going to fill this out during the service today, I want to go ahead and read it so that you will know what's on it and perhaps it'll help you to fill it out a little more uh, efficiently if we just take a moment to do this. Of course, on one side is your name and information, etc. But on the other side, it says, I've chosen God and been baptized into Christ and continue to grow in grace and knowledge. But the elders or ministers could help me by... And what we want to know, is there something that we can do uh, to help you in your spiritual life, to help you take steps closer to God that you'll never stop growing and that will continue to mature as long as we live? The second is, though, I've chosen God and I've been baptized into Christ, but I'm not growing in grace and knowledge. And the elders and ministers could help me by, and it has a blank there, and also there's praying with me, studying with me, visiting with me. But if there's other things listed there... And it also says I need to be restored. And maybe today you're ready to, to continue growing again. And, and we'd love to help you in any way that we can. A third option is there. I have not chosen God, but I want to do that today. I'm ready to be baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. We're thankful that Will Kirby uh, was at that place this morning. And now he's our brother in Christ. And we rejoice. And perhaps there's others in this room right now that, that you'll say, that's, that's me. That's what I'm going to do today. And, and we look forward to that. The, the fourth uh, line here is, I've not chosen God, but I have questions and I need to talk or study with someone or I don't even know where to start, or I feel like I should know more, but I just don't, or I want to talk with someone who will understand where I am, or maybe none of those you felt like met you where you are, and that's what that next line of comments, how, how is it that we can meet you where you are and help you take the next step closer to God? We hope that you'll complete that, and, and it'll be a good way to communicate to your elders and and to the ministers of ways that, that we can be involved in your life. Another thing that we want to suggest to you, and it'll be the final uh, option, if you will, of, of things that we want to do. Uh, well, no, there'll be two more. See, this is a blessed day. If you're sitting on the end of the pew, uh, take the booklets, if you will, and pass those down also. Uh, we want everybody to... to Take a book, and, and I know that there will probably be some that'll say, hey, I, I would like to have a few copies of these books so I could pass some out to some people that I've been talking with and et cetera. And that's a really good thing, and we really want you to do that. But here in the auditorium is not the time to get your extra copies. If you will, come see us, because we don't have enough in the auditorium for everybody to take several extra. But we want to make them available to you, so that's no problem. But this morning, if you will, just take one. And if, if on your aisle... There are extra books. Instead of passing them back, why don't you look back and see if the person, the people behind you have one or the people in front of you uh, because we're going to get close to running short in here. And so help us distribute those around. Also, if uh, you have not received one by the time service is over, we do have extra copies and information 
central there. And so be sure and go by the information desk and we can make these copies available to you. Uh, this is a simple study, not about what God has done for us, even though that is a wonderful study. This is what we do in response to what God has done for us. And so God's loved us enough that he sent his son to die for us and his grace is freely offered to us and we have to decide make a choice, choose God. We have to decide if we're going to respond to God. And that's what uh, this booklet is just a study of God's word of what he asked us to do to respond to him. And so we hope you'll study through this. You'll notice on the back, there's some contact information, but I want to draw your attention, especially to that last line that is an email address that says, choose God at mountjuliet.org. Now, I'm not suggesting to you that it'll be like a chat line. We may not be that efficient. But if you're studying this this afternoon or you're studying it tonight or tomorrow, and as you study it, it may be a little question or it may be something you think is pretty big. We want you to email us and the ministers will respond to you and try to study along with you through this book if, if that's the way you prefer to do it uh, through, through email. We want to meet you where you are and help you as you move closer to God. Let's make sure none of us leave here this morning having not chosen God. Let's make sure that none of us leave here this morning stagnant. Let's make sure that we all leave here moving closer to God. And then finally, uh, but yet very important, at one o'clock today, there will be uh, brothers and sisters of this congregation here at the building. Uh, we will uh, be glad to meet you. Uh, if you want to come right at 1 o'clock on the nose or if you want to wait to 1.15 or 1.30 or 1.45, but between 1 and 2 o'clock, there will be people here to meet you. If you want to pray, if you want to talk, if you want to ask questions, if you want to begin a study, wherever you are, we want to meet you where you are and we want to walk with you from now on to eternity. And so however we can do that, there'll be a few elders, there'll be a few ministers, there'll be a few uh, brothers and sisters in the congregation. And uh, we, we would love to just one or two of us sit down and visit with you when you come in at one o'clock. And so anytime between one and two, just know you just walk into the main foyer there and uh, we would be honored to have the opportunity to sit down and, uh, and just to, to listen and to share uh, with you. Your life today is a result of the decisions that you have made in the past. Now you want some very, very sobering thoughts to follow that? Your eternity will be based on the decisions that you make in this life. You choose God and eternal life or you choose to not choose God and eternal life. Now, I'm not taking the equation out of, of God's awesome grace and of His great love and of His rich mercy. In other words, that's offered to every person here. It's offered to every person around the globe God, it is not His will that any of us would perish, but that everyone would come to eternal life. And so it's offered to all. And some will choose Him, and some will not. But literally, where you spend eternity will be your choice. Nobody else's. 
God's made His choice, but He will not force you. He longs to have you into His family. He wants to adopt you. He wants to spend an eternity with you. But now the choice is yours. As we think about this this morning, it's a very wonderful thought, but it's a thought that carries a lot of responsibility. Over the last few weeks, we've observed the fact from David that God does not look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. So when we choose God, it has to be genuine. He knows who we are, not just what we do. We saw from Psalms 1 that a part of choosing God is literally deciding where to plant ourselves. Remember the acorn? Are we going to plant ourselves by the rivers of water? Are we going to plant ourselves within the will of God? But we also learned last week from Joshua that it is a choice. Choose you this day whom you will serve. And so it's a beautiful fact that, that God loves you. But it's also a sobering responsibility that it is your choice. We can choose God or we can choose to abandon God or neglect God or to never choose God in the first place. Jesus was an amazing teacher. One of the reasons that Jesus captured so much attention was his ability to tell an earthly story and connect it with spiritual meaning. He called those, or that method of teaching, parables. P-A-R-A, the first part of parable, literally means to lay along a side. In other words, a parable is an earthly story that practically anybody in his day would have heard this parable, this story, and they would have understood the earthly content of the story. But then Jesus would take that parable and he would lay it along beside a spiritual teaching. And because of that, it brought clarity and it brought understanding for those that really wanted to learn. Now keep in mind, for those that didn't want to learn, the parables literally kept people in the dark. In other words, the parables were given to those who wanted to know the mysteries of God. Uh, the idea of mystery there is not you can't figure out. The idea of mystery, the way it's used in Scripture in that sense, is that which God will reveal and to make known. We will talk about that more in just a few moments. In Luke the 8th chapter, we have one of the parables that would be, if people were going to make a list of some of the most popular parables that Jesus taught, no doubt this would be one of those parables. Oftentimes, and maybe even in your Bible, over the headings, it will say the parable of the sower. And it's very unfortunate because that's not really at all what this parable is about. This parable is about, it, it does include in it the mention of a sower. And it definitely includes mention of the seed. But this is a parable about four types of soil. In other words, where are we going to place the seed? What kind of soil are we going to be? Let's get the earthly story, and then let's finish this morning with the spiritual meaning. Let's go back to Luke, the eighth chapter, and let's look at verse five. A sower, which by the way, the end of verse four, it says that Jesus said that he was going to speak a parable to them. And then he goes into this parable, verse five. A sower went out to sow his seed. So see there, we got the sower, we have the seed. But now notice the emphasis. As he sowed, some, talking about some of the seed, fell by the wayside. And it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. 
So where are these seeds going to land? Think about in the day that they would have broadcasted seed by hand. Perhaps some of you have done that as you've sown something in your life. Well, you can imagine if they did that all day, they, they could become pretty skilled at being able to not skip places in the field and and making sure they hit the edge of the field. But you know, they would not have such accuracy and dexterity to be able to stop the seed right on the edge of the field. A few of the seed would fly over and land in the path, in the pathway. Now, I need you to take your minds out of the 21st century for a moment, and I want you to imagine a day where almost all transportation was on foot, or hoof. And I want you to imagine that all around would be fields and individuals, oxen, would be walking from place to place. Many of the paths would be narrow, perhaps so narrow that if you were going to meet someone, you might step off the edge of the path, let them pass, and you keep walking. But all of this traffic would go around the edge of farms and, and around the edge of fields. And that pathway would be very hard. That pathway, if a seed did land on it, it could not penetrate into that packed soil. Not only that, it was actively traveled. And so as it was lying on top of that hard ground, the next ox or, or the next person that came along with and, and stepped on it could easily crush it. Not only that, the birds would all the time be watching, just as when you plant your garden today. Some of you have problems with birds sweeping in. Can you imagine how the birds would just naturally watch the pathways whenever the seed were being thrown? And so this, this seed lands on the path, and Jesus said, it's trampled, and then he says, the birds come in and take it off. You see, as Jesus told them that part of the story, there would not have been one person that heard him say that that was said, I just don't understand that. They would have understood that very, very well. But then he describes a second type of soil. Look at eight and six. Eight and six. Some fell on rock. And as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. Now, I know sometimes that when we, we read this, we, we sometimes even say it was the rocky soil. And, and you know, if, if you want to believe it was just soil with a lot of rock mixed in, there's no problem with believing that. Let me give you what my opinion is on what is meant by this rocky soil. And we ought to get it here in Wilson County. We ought to understand it better than most places understand it. When you have bedrock, oftentimes you could have soil that's only a few inches thick on top of the bedrock. That topsoil might be very rich. And if you didn't dig down very deep, you would actually think this is a great place to plant seeds. And so you go out and you plant the seed. But underneath that soil, the water is going to go through that shallow soil. It's going to enter on top of the bedrock and it's going to wash to the lowest part of that bedrock. And so what you're going to have is you're going to have a seed that immediately grows because that topsoil is rich. It begins to put out roots, but the roots hit the rock and they stop. They can't go deep 
to get the nourishment and the moisture that they need that would be found deeper into the ground if that rock was not there. And so then, as the plant tries to grow, it doesn't have the stamina when the hot sun comes out. It's been several days since a rain, and that scorching sun, and those roots are trying hard to find moisture, and there is no moisture on top of that rock that's under the ground a few inches. And I want you to notice, when, when you look back at that sixth verse, he says, as soon as it sprang up, it withered away. Do you remember the Psalm 1 that we read last week? Remember where that tree was planted? By the rivers of water? Remember, it, it would bring forth fruit in its season. And what about its leaf? It le its leaf did not wither. See, here... In this verse, we learn that there's going to be a withering away because the roots cannot find moisture was what Jesus said. But the, the tree in Psalm 1 that was thriving and growing so well was because its roots could continually find the nourishment and the moisture that was needed. Let's go to the next soil. Look at the eighth chapter in verse seven. Some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. When we think about going into some deeper soil that would have been very capable of growing some very nice plants, we think about preparing the soil. Well, what if we just kind of take the top of the weeds off, but the root structure of the weeds is still very strong? On the surface, it looks like this is a great place to plant. The seeds are scattered, but the problem is the weeds already have a strong root system. So they begin to grow quicker and they begin to grow stronger. And as the plant is trying to grow, it cannot outgrow the thorns or the thistles or the weeds. And so what happens is the stronger roots are taking away the moisture that the crop needed. Also what is happening on top of the ground is that the taller thorns or thistles or weeds are actually blocking the sun that the younger plant so desperately needs. And the word that Jesus used was a very strong word. He says it chokes it. Like if we think of a human being choking, you say if, if that is not resolved, that individual is going to, well, that's what Jesus is saying about this plant. It's literally the thorns and thistles that are growing at a faster rate. They literally are going to choke out the crop that otherwise could have been produced. But then the good news is in verse 8, there's some seed that fell on good ground and it sprang up and it yielded a crop a hundredfold. And so there is good ground. And you say, well, what is this good ground? Well, in part, now I don't think this is the fullness of what Jesus meant by any stretch of the imagination, but in part what this good ground was and is, it's the things that the bad ground is not. The good ground is not packed hard like a pathway. It's loose and it's open. When, when we say, well, what about the depth of the topsoil? It's not like the bedrock soil. It's, it has the potential for roots to go very deep into moisture. What about the preparation of the good ground? There's not a, a root system of weeds already in place, ready to take over the crop. It's been prepared very well. And what does it do? It yields and brings forth 
a harvest. We'll talk about that a little more in just a moment, but that's so important. So Jesus tells this, and, and if you have your Bible open, you'll look there at Luke the 8th chapter and verse 9. The disciples ask him, saying, what does this parable mean? Now, you know they weren't saying, we don't understand this from an agricultural standpoint. What, what do you mean by these different souls? They understood what it meant from a physical or agricultural standpoint. What they didn't know was, what's the spiritual message that we're supposed to get out of this? And before he explains the parable, you have to love what he says about him speaking to them in parables and them learning from him. And notice what he says in 10. To you it has been given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God. But to the rest is given in parables that seeing you may not see and hearing they may not understand. So he says, to those of you that have an interest in learning, and what we're going to learn in just a minute, what it is, is they have a heart that wants to do the will of God. And he says, to those of you that have that kind of heart, he says, I speak in parables because you can learn some powerful, powerful lessons about what? The mysteries of the kingdom of God. What are the mysteries of the kingdom of God? Brethren, we could spend all day talking about them. Let me just mention just a few very quickly. The incarnation of Jesus is a mystery that you and I wouldn't know about or understand if it were not for it being revealed from what? The word of God. What you and I understand about the perfect life of Jesus Christ being an example for us, the way you and I understand it is because it's been revealed to us in the Word of God. The idea that we can study Old Covenant and we can see the atonement and we can see the sacrifices that were made, but it's through God's Word that we see the ultimate sacrifice of Jesus Christ being offered on the cross and us having redemption through Christ. What we know about the resurrection, we know it because it's recorded in scriptures. The scripture reveals the mystery. What we know about the ascension and what we know about the return of Jesus Christ, the scriptures reveals it to us. And so, how important is this? It's of ultimate importance. And yet, now think with me for a moment. What is the word of God in this parable? Well, let's read what Jesus said in verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. You see what he's just said to them and what he's saying right now? He's just said, those of you that want to know, the mysteries can be revealed. How are we going to learn the mystery? He says, you've got to let the seed come into the right kind of heart. And if the seed, which is what? The word of God comes into the right kind of heart. There's a revealing of mysteries. What if it comes into the wrong heart? It doesn't bear fruit. It doesn't accomplish what it was designed to accomplish. And so with this in mind, let's now see the teaching that Jesus was giving. We've seen the earthly story. Now let's see the spiritual significance. Look in verse 12 as he explains. We're just going back over these four souls again. 8 and 12. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Now notice all four of the souls are going to have received the same seed. Are you listening to this? This is, this is neat. This is profound about this passage. All four souls receive the same seed given from the same sower. So the emphasis is not upon, oh, so this crop did really well and this crop did nothing. 
I wonder who sowed this. I wonder if there was a difference of seeds. No, in this parable that Jesus is teaching, the sower's the same, the seed's the same. The seed is the Word of God. And notice it goes in by the wayside. Those on the wayside are those who hear. All of them hear it. But then notice what happens. The devil comes and takes away the Word out of their hearts lest they should believe and be saved. What is the ultimate harvest that should be produced from the Word of God? Today, if you say, I'm going to choose God, I'm going to let God reign in my life, what is the ultimate harvest? Well, I just did it because I want a better life in America. I just did it because I think Christians just tend to raise kids that, that get along better. I just did it because I know there's a lot of good people there and I'm kind of lonely and I, I just wanted some social opportunities with good people. That's why I did it. Listen, there can be a lot of benefits to living a Christian life, but you can't become a Christian unless you're willing to take part in the ultimate harvest. And the ultimate harvest is that we recognize our sin has separated us from God. And Jesus Christ came to this word, world and in his own words, he says, I've come to seek and to save the lost. Jesus, before he went to heaven, said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I'll come again to receive to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The ultimate purpose of the gospel is to enter a heart that wants to be saved. Now we've got to be humble enough to admit we're a sinner. If you're just looking for something social and you're not willing to be humble enough to admit you're a sinner, you can't really be saved. Oh, you can play the game. And, and you can say to people, oh, I just want to be a part of your church, such a loving group, and I think this will really be good for us. No, go to your knees and say, I'm a sinner. Go to your knees and say, my sin has separated me from God. Go to your knees and say, there is no hope for me except Jesus Christ. I'm willing to humbly come to you. The ultimate harvest is all about individuals being saved. Why doesn't it happen more often? Well, you see this wayside? The devil came in. Remember, it's the hard soil. And so the devil was like the birds back up in the physical explanation. The spiritual application is the devil's like the birds. But then notice there, there had to be somebody that trampled on it. And that's our pride. That's our sin. It can even be our apathy. Breaks my heart. I think about somebody I love dearly that told me over 20 years ago, I'm going to come back to the Lord. I am. I'm going to come back real soon. It's been 20 years. What does God call that? Hard-hearted. What kind of soul is this? Hard-packed soul. What happens when the Word of God comes into hard-packed hearts? The Word just stays on the surface and immediately Satan says, Whew, let me get that out of their life because if the Word of God goes into a good heart, people are saved. Let me get the Word before it goes into their heart because what's Satan in the business of doing? He's in the business of making sure people are condemned. 
And so we, we learn a valuable lesson here about how we ought to want to be humble and we ought to want to soften our heart. And, and I know the old King James has maybe some ways of wording things that we don't think today, but do you remember back in the King James translation in Acts 2 and 37, you remember when those that persecuted the Lord and they were fine with it. They had a hard heart about it. He deserved to die. But when they finally realized that, it, that they crucified the Messiah. Do you remember how that was described in Acts 2 and 37? And they were what? They were pricked in their heart. The hard heart started being soft. Something finally pricked it. So see, the good news is no hard heart has to stay hard. Any hard heart can become soft. Any hard heart can become a heart that God can work with. All we have to do is yield ourselves to God and trust Him. Luke 8 and 13, but the one on the rock are those who when they hear, notice they too receive the word, and notice they received it with joy, but these have no root. Remember, the roots are shallow, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So they receive the word. Remember, they're shallow topsoil, and so they have the opportunity to grow, and they're even so excited. Maybe it's the ones that you say, I've never seen anybody more excited when they became a Christian. Six months later, you say, I can't find them. What happened? There, there were no roots. There was all this excitement about the beginning, but there was nothing to keep them in the faith. And so there's, there's two descriptions here that, that we don't ever want of ourselves, and yet it's so easy to do, isn't it? But we don't want this. We don't want the word, see there in verse 13, for a while. We don't ever want that describing our faith, for a while. Or notice, in a time of temptation, fall away. Those are two descriptions we don't want to describe our faith. Hey, have you become a Christian? Oh, I tell you, that was the happiest day of my life. I only did it for a while and I fell away. Look at the third soul. Luke 8 and 14. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they've heard, they go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of life and bring, notice this last phrase, no fruit to maturity. What's the whole purpose of growing a crop? The whole purpose of growing a crop is harvest. And here there is no fruit brought to maturity. I know there's probably not a person in this room that's a full-time farmer. But I want you to imagine that in the time this was written, there would have been plenty. And even today, there's plenty around the country. Now, this is really going to take some imagination for you to break a mold that you've been in all of your life. But I want you to imagine the significance why would Jesus, to teach something so important, why would he use the example of agriculture and a harvest? What was important to a farmer? I want you to imagine that this week Friday rolls around, and you know what kind of paycheck you get? Nothing. And next Friday rolls around, and you get nothing. And next Friday rolls around, you get nothing. Next Friday rolls around, you get nothing. Next Friday, 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 you get nothing. And finally, it's that time of the year in the fall where finally it's what? Harvest time. This is huge because you're going to live this next year on 
harvest. Your family is going to live next year on harvest. And you go out to harvest and there is no harvest. Explain that to hungry children. Well, we just didn't have a harvest this year. Explain it when it comes time for necessities and you don't have them because there was no harvest. Listen, Jesus was talking to people that realized it was a situation of life or death depending on harvest. We're so accustomed to a world economy that we don't even worry if there's a drought in our part of the country. We'll just ship in food from somewhere else. Their day and time, that was very difficult to do. The story of Joseph that many of us love, you realize why that story had such a shift in it? Because they literally did what? They moved to the food. What they moved to? They moved to harvest because they were going seven years without what? Seven years without harvest. The thorny soil, it never brings anything to harvest. The soil is capable of growing. But there are weeds that choke out what is good. And here Jesus says the weeds are things like cares, riches, possessions, even pleasures. What are we supposed to do with our cares? Instead of letting them rule our life, we're supposed to let God rule our life. And we do what? We entrust, cast our cares upon Him. Instead of letting, letting possessions rule our life, we're supposed to bring our possessions to the Lord and say, Lord, I trust you. How do you want me to use these things? And pleasure? Instead of bringing our, our fleshly desires and letting them rule our life, we are supposed to practice self-control and let the Spirit of God rule our life and find a peace that passes understanding and a joy in God's salvation. But then there's that good soil. Look in the 8th chapter in verse 15. Look at verse 15. But the ones that fell on the good ground are those who having heard the word with what? A noble and good heart. Not a hard heart. Not a shallow heart. Not a distracted heart with all the cares. But a noble and good heart. And what did that good heart do? Keep it. And do what? Bear fruit with patience. The wording here is interesting where it says an honest and good heart. It's, it's kind of like a heart of integrity. It's, it's really almost like saying they have a, a good and a good heart. It's kind of strange. But what he seems to be doing is pointing out that the inside, the very makeup, you know, God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks at the heart. It's almost as if he's saying the inside, the, the inside of the heart is so good. But then what comes out of that heart is so good. It's a good and good heart. The integrity, the honesty of that heart is good. And what stems from that heart is good. Why? Now, please get this. This is so important. Maybe one of the most important things I'll say to you about this idea of our heart. You and I don't have the capability of just creating a good heart on our own. Hopefully at this point, every one of us are saying, well, what do I do to make sure that, that I don't have a hard-packed heart? What do I do to make sure I don't have a shallow heart? What, what do I do to make sure that things don't choke out in my heart? You and I can't just say, well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'm just going to make sure I always have a good heart. 
the only way to have a good heart is to say, God, here's my heart. I open myself up fully to you and your will. Plant the seed of your word in my life and I will submit to you in everything. Then and only then does our heart become good. The hard-packed heart can become a good heart if they do that. The rocky heart can become a good heart if they do that. The thorn and thistle and weed-covered heart can become a good heart if they do that. And notice what else has to be done. Once that's done, it has to be kept. They keep it. It's not like the, the rock where it's only for a little while and the sun comes out of temptation and scorches it away and they fall away. It's not that. It's kept. Any of you ever raised a garden? You know that to raise a garden, it means that you go out and on a regular basis, you keep the weeds and the rodents out and the pests out. And on a regular basis, you bring into that garden everything that's, that needs to be done. What are you doing? You are keeping the garden what do we do in our heart? We begin with that heart says, first and greatest commandment. Lord, I love you with all of my heart, all of my soul, all my mind. All my, Lord, I love you. And then we keep it. We guard it. When the bird tries to fly in, no, no, Satan. You're not going to take the word out of my life. And when I'm tempted to become shallow and stop feeding on God's word, no, no, my roots are going to go deep into God's word. And when pleasures start creeping up and I start telling myself fleshly desires are better than spiritual, we practice self-control and say, no, I want to keep it. And what's the end? Out of all the ways Christ would summarize this parable, notice the end. Bears fruit with patience. It's all about harvest. But a harvest that only comes through endurance. Roots that are deep enough to endure the sun. A breaking through the hardness where we allow the will of God to touch us. When's the last time? Notice I'm not asking you when's the last time you sinned. When's the last time your sin brought tears to your eyes? When's the last time your sin broke your heart? Only until that hard heart is broken can God really work with it. So you're saying, preacher, you're saying you got to cry in order to have a soft heart. I don't say the tears is the, the magic. I'm not saying the tears is the scale to measure. But I'm telling you, we can't belong to God. We can't say, I choose you, God, with a hard heart. Hearts that produce eternal harvest are hearts that have been softened and given over completely to God. And so when we think about the seed, the seed is the Word of God. And on this next slide, we see the four pictures of the soil. And I read this or heard this recently, and, and I think I'd heard it years ago, and honestly, I'd forgotten all about it. 
I've already made reference to it once. I want to remind you as we close this lesson. For a long time, I always studied this parable and this teaching as if all of us are one of the souls. And, and the truth is that very well could be that all four souls are represented here this morning. I hope that not all four souls leave here this morning that way. But it could be that all four are here this morning. That'd be very likely with a crowd this size. But do you realize this? Jesus never told this parable to say, I'm putting you in a pigeonhole of one of those soils, and that's who you are. He's saying, that's your condition now. But what he's calling us all to become is the good soul. In other words, please don't see yourself. If, if, if studying God's Word this morning, you say, I, I think I may be that rocky that, or that hard soul, or I might be that thorn-covered soul. You know, it, whatever one you see yourself, please don't see yourself to say, that's the way it is. That's not why Jesus is teaching it. Jesus is saying, now look how you can change. Last week we looked at the acorn a whole lot. And you realize that when you look in that acorn, what God sees is the potential of a mighty oak tree. And right now you may look at your life and you may think, I'm, I'm not much. I sin a lot and I disappoint God a lot. and I don't know what you think about yourself, but I want to tell you real quickly. God looks within you and He made you. And He'll redeem you and He'll recreate your spiritual life. And He, if you will allow Him, will make you into a spiritual mighty oak tree. You've just got to decide what kind of heart you're going to have. Where are you going to allow that seed of God's Word to be planted. Today, I hope we've clearly communicated God's expectations because His expectations are so awesome. We want everybody to know them. God has wonderful things in plan for you and the best is yet to come into eternity. And so today, we want to know how we can help you. If you're saved, it's because you've been humble enough to admit your sin and seek the only Savior's forgiveness. And if you're not saved this morning, can I just say it bluntly? If you're not saved this morning, it's because you haven't been humble enough to admit your sin and seek the only Savior's forgiveness. All of us have been there. But we want to all leave here choosing God. And we want to help each other. And whatever we can do to help you now or at one o'clock today or tonight or this week as you study, we just want to urge you to not procrastinate and be real to God. Because He knows you inside and out better than you know yourself.